those that go through the process and deliberately decide to stay and make Big B Coffee, how they're going to pursue their passion, these people are going to be superheroes. They're going to be the most powerful employees you've ever had in your organization because they've gone through a whole process and deliberately decided that your business is their future and they are passionate about being there and building a life they love with Big B involved. Welcome to Good Business Talking, and I'm your host, Ravi Rai. On today's show is Mike McFall, co-CEO of Big B Coffee. A few topics we discussed included how he and his partner built a business based on not conforming to the norm, being independent, almost maverick-like. The importance of taking away fear and anxiety at work because it's one of the major causes of chronic diseases in the world. And finally, his plan to becoming a business that is going to change the world by helping people build a life they love and using a $1 billion enterprise as the engine to fuel that. I love this because he is a successful entrepreneur who wants to talk about love showing up at work. So without further ado, let's get started. Welcome, Mike. Appreciate you taking the time. Uh, my pleasure. Let's start off with the story. I mean, how did you come about working at Big B? The story is, is not really standard. I started as a minimum wage barista in our very first store. Hmm. And I, I was at the university in East Lansing doing a, a very specific research project. And I took the job at the coffee shop as a way to supplement a little bit of income. And then I fell in love with the business. So, you know, here I am, it's 5.30 in the morning and I'm looking forward to going into work. I get to make people happy every morning. I get to inject them with a little bit of joy. And so I really love that part of it, sort of the hospitality part of it. This was 1996 and it didn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that coffee was going to be a thing. The long story short, um, my partner approached me about taking a uh, more significant management type position in the company. And, and so we ended up uh, going for a, a, a really long walk. And at the end of that walk, we shook hands and agreed to start a new company together. Uh, and that would be the company that we would use to grow the brand uh, and the concept Big B Coffee. And so with that, uh, because A, I love the business and two, I sensed one heck of an opportunity. I left my, my research position at the university and I went into coffee full time. Hmm. Now back then, so how big was Big B? One store. We had one store. Huh. Okay. And yeah. now, can you give the listeners a sense of size, you know, locations? Revenue? Yeah. You know, one of the things that I really like to talk about is when I started, I remember calling my partner, Bob, uh, one evening and celebrating the fact that we had sold over 300 cups of coffee that day. Huh. And, you know, today we're selling, you know, just shy of 100,000. So, you know, there's been a lot of growth over the, over the years and, you know, standard day is, you know, 60, 70,000 cups and we have days that are up in the 80, 85, 90,000 cups uh, range. But from a unit perspective, I mean, we have 243, as of Tuesday, 244 uh, stores open. And all U.S. based? Yes, uh, we do have one store, I believe it's closed now in uh, Indonesia. So, um... When you had that long walk and you had that handshake around where you want to take the business, there you are, 
going on to grad school, digging into some deep stuff with your research project. What specifically was it that lured you into growing uh, a chain of coffee stores than taking the path that you've probably been thinking about for the previous few years? You know, Ravi, I got to tell you, it was like, I just, I loved it. I, I, I loved the business. I loved showing up. I loved serving cups of coffee. I loved the atmosphere. I loved everything about it. And so, yeah, was I crazy to leave this opportunity at the university when we were having conversations about me, you know, applying to schools like Stanford and mm. Northwestern to leave that and essentially become an assistant manager in a single unit coffee business. Yeah, that's crazy, right? I mean, that is crazy. But it was, it was all about the passion behind what I was doing and showing up that way every day and just loving it. And, and here I am 25 years later, still showing up and loving it. What was it, if anything at all, in that conversation back then that was not about coffee and serving coffee, but was about something else? Bob and I pride ourselves in having lived our lives in a way that was our own. We aren't conforming to anyone else. He, he never has. I'll tell a quick story here and I, I hope he doesn't mind, but um, you know, his first year at university, uh, his dad asked for his report card. And you know, Bob was an 18 year old and said, uh, you know, I don't think it's appropriate that you ask me for my report card. And his dad said, well, I'm paying the bill. And Bob said, well, then you don't have to pay the bill anymore. He paid for it himself and it took him nine years to get his degree. And so the mentality, I think we, he and I really connected on was, I'm going to do this thing my own way. I was 15 years old going into my junior year of high school. I left everything I knew and climbed on board of a square rig tall ship uh, called the Pagoria and sailed halfway around the world. And you know, I think about that now, and my son's 14, and I think about, boy, I mean, to leave all your friends and to leave everything you know, your family, and go with a bunch of strangers on a boat and sail halfway around the world, that took, it took me a year, took, I was gone for a year, uh, that's, that's insanity, right? <laughs> I mean, that's just insanity. And the same thing with Bob at 18 telling his dad, no, you don't get to see my report card. I mean, that, that's, so, so it was this real independent streak for the two of us. Hmm following our passions, doing, doing what we love, doing what we want. Um, and I think Bob and I really connected around that and we still are supporting each other in that today. Okay. So how does that gem of a trait or persona, I mean, whether you want to call it maverick, explorer, how does that, if at all, reflect itself in what Bigby's about today? Well, I think that, you know, we've learned that that gets in our way too. So this, this amazingly powerful strength the, that really helped launch the business, we've had to tame, <laughs> you know, over time. But I will say that to be an entrepreneur, to start a business, to do what we do and to do what many, many entrepreneurs do out there, you, you frankly can't really care uh, what people think about you. You have to be very... Um, strong in, in, in your beliefs and in, in your convictions. And, and we're still doing, I mean, we're doing that today, maybe more so than any, any point in our history with a lot of the work we're doing around our purpose and so on. 
So Big B Coffee, awesomely successful chain of coffee shops, has a purpose that's a little bit different to what you, most people would expect a coffee shop purpose to be, right? Maybe, you know, I mean, I think there's a, there's a real tight correlation between our purpose and, and what we do as a business from a couple of different perspectives. But our purpose is to support you, whoever you are, uh, if you're in contact with us, to support you in building a life that you love. That is our purpose. And we do that through the franchise business model, which is supporting all of our franchisees, our owners uh, of the stores in building this business, which will become an asset that will hopefully support them in, in building a life that they love. But I also just love this idea fundamentally that walking into your, your corner coffee shop in the morning and going in and having a relationship with that barista and getting a cup of coffee and feeling a sense of community when you walk into that store. And so that simple moment in the morning where you walk in and, and you have that, have this barista standing there who, you know, is just this, this amazing energetic ball of positive energy and, and you get your, you know, you get your, your cappuccino or your, your latte and, and like that, that's fuel right there, right? that propels you out into uh, the world so you can go do what, what you love to do and need to do in that given day. Uh, totally get that. You know, you're serving someone, what a beautiful opportunity for, to give them a powerful moment. And, and you know, um, powerful moments uh, is that wonderful book by yeah, sure. Chip Heath. Heath, yeah. Yeah, awesome book. Um, so I get it completely. But how does that building a life that you love show up with some of the other maybe less obvious stakeholders. Yeah, yeah. So the really powerful part of our purpose is this vision that we have committed to, which is we are committed to improving workplace culture in the United States. And we will do that by December of 2028. And there are two metrics that we're following in order to prove out that we have actually impacted and improved workplace culture in the United States. And there's a performance side of our vision, and then there is a purpose side of our vision. We created a new word, by the way, which is called performance. <laughs> so purpose and performance, performance. The, the purpose side of our vision is that 90% of employees who have been with us for one year or more will rate us a nine or a 10 in relation to the question, are we supporting you in building a life that you love? And keep in mind, these are not our employees. These are the employees of the stores. And if you don't vote as a barista in one of our stores, then you count as a zero. Mm -hmm. And so, A, we need 90% participation, but with 90% participation, we need 100% of those people saying that we, they will rate us a nine or a 10 uh, in, in terms of whether we're supporting them in building a life that we love. So that's a really, really, really challenging metric. Mm. But the other side of that metric is uh, the performance side, which is, you know, we could be a cute, quaint little chain of coffee shops in the Midwest United States and have three or 400 stores. And everybody's going to say, well, aren't you guys great? Isn't that cute? Right? So what we need to be able to do is say, oh, and by the way, by 2028, we grew our business to a billion dollars in, in revenue at the, re, at the retail level. And so then people will have to trust in the fact that you can be deliberately developmental of people. You mm. can love people. You can care for people. You can nurture people and support people in building lives that they love and have extraordinarily high performance from a business perspective. 
Because if we can do that, then the idea is, is that then leaders will be calling us and saying, okay, Mike, you know, okay, Bob, how'd you, how'd you guys do this? Mm. Right. And then we can talk about mm. our purpose, supporting people and building lives that they love. And so it's like, we have to prove ourselves out from a performance perspective too. So that is our vision. That is what we're going to accomplish by December, 2028. I love that uh, new word. Performance? performance yeah okay so now, now you've got me uh curious so I've, got, I've got a billion questions going on in my mind so tell us you know how do you get that going in big because those are two pretty audacious goals 90 percent of your employees are saying that you help them build a life that you love and that you're turning over a billion dollars in revenue so incredibly audacious Love it. How? Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, amazingly, we talk about the two sides of our vision and the performance side of getting to a billion dollars in revenue by 2028 seems easier than the purpose side. Mm. But, but let, me, let me just share how. It has been proven that fear and anxiety are unproductive. Mm. And, and any leader out there that has any sort of, you know, consciousness at all knows that fear and anxiety where people are just trying to cover their tracks they're just trying to figure out what the ceo or what the manager of the business wants they're not thinking independently and they're just covering themselves constantly and i think you know there's some metrics out there uh that that show that environment of fear people spend 50 percent of their time just trying to cover their tracks and do what, they're, what they think they're supposed to be doing. So what I wonder is if we, if we have acknowledged that fear and anxiety are unproductive. So if we get rid of fear and anxiety, we are going to be more productive. But then what I want to do is I want to prove out, but what if instead of just limiting fear and anxiety, what if we actually become supportive and nurturing? How powerful can our teams become? And I believe that if we become supportive and nurturing, we are going to unlock potential in people that they don't even know that they have. And Ravi, I would argue that most people have never experienced an environment that's supportive and nurturing where they truly are being supported, where they're in an environment where they're being nurtured to find their power inside of them. If we as leaders of corporations can begin to unlock that in our teams and in our people, this is the next level of performance where we can do things that we can't even comprehend that we can do today. So, so to me, that's how a tiny little company based in East Lansing, Michigan is going to change the world. It's how we're going to improve workplace culture in the United States is that we are going to take people and we're going to put them in an environment where they can absolutely flourish with no fear, with no anxiety. And it's all just about supporting them. And, and again, like you go to college, I'm sorry, man, college is not a, university is not a supportive, nurturing environment. 
high school. You're getting your, my, my son's already feeling pressure to perform on standardized tests. Mm-hmm. He's 14. This fear and anxiety that we, that we put people in is not healthy. It's not productive. So our schools do it. Uh, our corporations absolutely do it. I've never heard of a, of a, of a supportive and nurturing environment in a major corporation. I do think it exists and where it exists in corporate America are on individual teams inside of large corporations where the team has a supportive and nurturing environment. And then all of a sudden, everybody in the organization is going, how is that team performing at such an extraordinary level? It's because the leader of that team is bringing these concepts to that team where they have love, they have support, they nurture each other, they take care of each other, and they perform at an extraordinarily high level. As adults, I think oftentimes we, you know, we enter the workforce and essentially we stop learning. And, and we might be learning in relation to a role uh, or a job that we have to get better at that particular job, but we stop, many people stop learning from a broader perspective uh, and we we shouldn't do that. I mean, organizations should be about providing people the opportunity to continuously be learning and developing. You don't know what talents somebody has that they may not even know they have. Uh, and and you, you have to discover that stuff, but that's how we can become more and more and more powerful as teams, as organizations. That's how I can become more powerful in supporting other people in building lives that they love is I be, I continuously am learning and trying to unlock my own talents and, 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 you know, superpowers as there's mm-hmm. <laughs> some people are referring to them as, but, you know, uh, I think that the one thing that we haven't really touched on here that I, that I want to is our organizations are detrimental to people today. And this is why improving workplace cu- culture is so important to me. And, you know, I'm just going to walk down a really quick linear path here. And it'll, I hope it'll make my point, which is the leading cause of death in the United States, at least, and I, I think probably many parts of the world, is chronic disease. Yep. So these diseases that that are that are brutal, you know, diabetes and cancer and and so on, leading cause of death is is chronic disease. There are very direct correlations between chronic disease and stress and anxiety. The leading cause of stress and anxiety is work and finances. If we can, as organizations, take people and take them out of an environment of stress and anxiety, think of the different human being that's arriving at home at night with their families, with their kids, with their spouses, and and think of of how the, the impact that will have on future generations. And so... What, what we're trying to do is we're trying to make a correlation between workplace culture and a lot of the ills in our society. People go home at night and they, they're on their phone constantly. They're, they're checking emails. They're, they're working when their five-year-old is drawing a beautiful picture on the dining room table 
after after dinner and you're not involved in that i it 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 like breaks my heart and then by the way what do people do when they go home full of stress and anxiety they self medicate they do they they drink they do drugs they and so on right and so by simply taking this one piece which is workplace culture and turning it into a supportive and nurturing environment where people are more inspired when they leave work and go home than when they showed up, the the positive impact of that in the world is going to be dramatic. And that's why that is our purpose and vision. That's Mm -hmm. what we're trying to accomplish. And I'm not sure I've heard of something more powerful than that in the world. Yeah. And and you know what? I think uh, we've got to look at our education system too, right? And culture around how do we measure success? Uh, and then, you know, later on top of that, how do we measure business success? And we can rewind all this stuff back to Friedman if you want to back in the seventies, talking about shareholder profit would be the, the be all and end all metric. Um, I don't know, I, I, I get a sense with COVID upon us and, uh, you know, humanity seems to be showing up a lot more at work. Um, people are questioning things a little bit more. And, uh, you know, I, I get a sense there's a bit more of a wave around all this stuff around ESG, businesses that are doing the right thing, you know, do we have the right measurements in place, Uh, you know, and and actually, how do you actually just measure value? What is value? Is value, is the only measure of value the return on equity or are there other perspectives on that? And I think it's naive to think that's the only one. Totally. But but, but we've got to change shareholders and boards and, you know, that's where it's got to Well, the power lies in equity. That's, that's the issue. So the whole mechanism is built to support equity and equity holds all the power. So they they have zero incentive to change. Yeah. I think there's also something there around because you've got this fundamental inner belief, which is coming up very loud and clear around. If you want to shift that equity, that revenue dial, the function of that is people being at their best. It's about eliminating fear and anxiety, and I, and I think it's understanding the the what the, the causation or the correlation even it would be even better uh, between profit and helping people, um, you know, show up the best version of themselves. That I think, I, and it's this intense need for having data and analytics rather than a, a belief that actually yeah, some of this stuff that's important maybe is not so measurable yet. And we need to be, I mean, for, for us anyway, the reason why we have two sides of our vision is, is we need to be a, an outstanding performer mm. to get people to pay attention. And we got a long way to go. I mean, we really do. But, but uh, you know, being in, in environments like this with you, uh, supportive environments for me to be able to talk like this, I do a fair amount of speaking and, you know, I'll be on the phone with the CEO. I've got an event um, Tuesday where I'm keynoting a thing. And, and it's like, so I, I, I got together with the CEO of that organization. I'm like, I, I kind of have two things that I, that I talk about. I talk about entrepreneurship. I mean, I wrote a book on entrepreneurship. I started a business. I've been fairly successful in start in the, in, in entrepreneurship. And I, so I can talk about that and the power of that. And I, you know, and, or I have this thing that I talk about, which is love in the workplace. You know, I talk about uh, del- deliberately developmental organizations and the power of all of that to this day. I haven't had a single CEO choose love in the workplace. So we got a steep, we got a steep curve here, right? Um, People are not interested in leaders are not interested in talking about things that are different and powerful. 
they want to talk about everybody thinks like, well, the powers in being entrepreneurial, that's how we're going to grow and expand. And I have a really strong argument that says that uh, this other stuff is way more powerful than the spirit of entrepreneurship. Hmm. Oh, I love it. Okay. So now, now you've got me uh, curious. So tell me, um, because, you know, if I think about some of the conversations I've had and, you know, what I see on media and there's still a lot of challenge, right? And pushback around, yeah, it's not, and you use the word cute, right? And, and it's interesting. I spoke to Michelle Sirocco from Televerde a few weeks back and she said, we can have a cute business model, but that's not good enough. We need to be sustainable right. so we can scale this baby up and do good for more people, which I'm hearing coming out from the words you just said too. Um, but, you know, there's still a lot of um, scepticism that you can do good and and do well, you know, financially also. So um, tell us, you know, how do you get that going in big? Because those are two pretty audacious goals. 90% of your employees are saying that you help them build a life that you love and that you're turning over a billion dollars in revenue. So incredibly audacious. Love it. How? Yeah. I mean, that's our challenge. There's really three things that we're doing. One, we have a curriculum that we've established and that curriculum is being rolled out throughout our community and it's four different classes and, and people sign up for those classes. And it's about building a foundation because we believe there's these foundational elements you have to have in order to build a life that you love. We're not saying do these four things and we guarantee you'll have a life that you love, but without these four things, we think it's difficult or more difficult to build a life that you love. And, you know, it has to do with exceeding your basic needs. So there's a whole class on personal finance. It is about a sense of belonging. So, so that is, do, do you have your posse? <laughs> do you have your peeps? You know, like my peeps are my hockey team. I was with them last night. Uh, you know, I, I, I've been playing hockey with these guys for 24 years. Uh, they're my best friends in the whole wide world, right? Um, so do you, do you have a sense of belonging? Do you have personal vitality? Mm-hmm. And there's a, there's a whole sort of definition around vitality, but it's, it's really, I mean, do you have the capability to pursue a life that you love? Because if you don't, I mean, if you're, you know, drug addicted, or if you're an alcoholic, or if you're, you know, there are these things that if you aren't vital, you're probably going to struggle to, to pursue a life that you love. Uh, and then the last one is knowing who you want to be. And that is a whole exercise envisioning what the future could possibly be. So we've developed this curriculum. We're rolling it out. We're, ro- we're in classes right now. And so making those classes available to all of our people is, is one way that we're doing this. Another way that we do it is, in, at least internally in our organization, is through coaching. It's individualized coaching. And we have people who work with you independent of your position in the company, independent of your business, the manager of your line of business. And those, that coaching is about supporting you in pursuing your passions and building a life that you love. Now, we understand people will leave based on this coaching. coaching. We know that, right? It's happened. People go through the coaching, they go through the exercises, maybe they go through some of the coursework and they decide, holy cow, well, this has happened. Uh, I want to be in the FBI. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of those kinds of stories. And most business managers would, would look at me, look at you and say, 
This is heresy. You're going to pour all this energy and effort and time into somebody. And then they're going to choose to go start a cupcake store somewhere because, and it's like, yes, and that's beautiful. And we love it. And we celebrate it. Here's why those that go through the, delib- the, 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 the process and deliberately decide to stay and make Big B coffee, how they're going to pursue their passion. These people are going to be superheroes. They're going to be the most powerful employees you've ever had in your organization because they've gone through a whole process and deliberately decided that your business is their future and they are passionate about being there and building a life they love with Big B involved. So it gives people the opportunity to self-select in, self-select out. Plus, we provide coaching about interpersonal stuff. Interpersonal stuff is huge in an organization. You don't get along with your manager. Well, let's not lose you as an employee because you happen to have a personality conflict with your manager. Let's figure that out or move you into a different kind of position and so on. The third thing that we're doing are called, these things are called forums. And so you have the curriculum, curriculum, you have the coaching, and then we have forums. And think of forums as like a support group, seven to 10 people in a small group. They get together monthly. All of this is on company time, by the way. We're not, we're not asking you to do this outside of your, quote, 40 hours. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the forum is there to support you in whatever you need to allow you to pursue a life that you love, mm-hmm. right? And the results from these forums have just been so incredibly powerful, right? We hear from people all the time uh, about how powerful the relationships they've formed inside of these forums have been. And, you know, we, we, we used to do those only with owner operators, with franchise owners. Uh, we now are doing them with, with the, the store level employees. So we're bringing managers from different stores from all over the place together. And think of that, you know, you're, you're a manager of a coffee shop in you know, some small town in Michigan. And then you get to go and have all of these activities sponsored by us. You get to connect with people doing the same thing you're doing, but from all over the state, maybe all over the Midwest. And, and like, just think of how that broadens your horizon, your thinking as a store level manager. Typically, a store level manager is going to show up to work, manage a store, go home, and then what, right? Yeah, yeah. But if work can be supportive of you developing and expanding your horizons and so on, the more powerful you're going to be. Oh, so man. that's the answer to how. Oh, I love it. And, uh, you know, what I'll get from that is there's kind of almost two phases. The phase number one is, Let's just raise awareness. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff out there. Um, and by the way, I did do the assessment myself from your website. And I thought, what? You know, and, and so, uh, you know, I've, I have been coached. I am a coach. And I, and I loved the level of intimate, thoughtful questions that you put into that. So if any of the listeners, you just need to get on Big B Coffee and fill out that self-assessment because I think there's some very, very powerful insights that you get. So really great job on that, by the way. And by the way, just to comment on that real quick, my this isn't designed or meant to be for, quote, young people. This is for anyone. My business partner in filling out the assessment. Now, by all measures, my business partner is a successful human being right? Just, he's got friends. He's got a beautiful wife, a family. He's got a great bit. And so he's going through the, the, the assessment and, and I won't out what he discovered, but just doing the assessment, he uncovered something really powerful in his life that was missing. Hmm. And, and to me, we all need to be thinking that way. 
right? Uh, and, and so this isn't just about sort of building a foundation for young people. This is for everyone, for anyone, right? Go through the assessment and, and, and see, maybe there's nothing there and so what, but maybe there is something there. And then now we're having an interesting conversation. Absolutely. And, and that's it. I think the assessment's a wonderful way to raise awareness. And then I see the piece that you're then talking about around the coaches and the forums is a way to know, okay, how do you, how do you know? Now that you know, you're no longer unconscious, you're now conscious. So how do you now progress to a, a, a better life? So I, I so that completely, those three things resonate and make a lot of sense. In fact, I also think I'm, I'm hearing some of the old Maslow's hierarchy in sort totally. of what you're talking right? You know, safety, <laughs> income, vitality, self-actualized, it's all in there. The, the curriculum was based on that. Okay. Okay, yeah. cool. So everything you sound, I mean, hey, I'm, I'm a real proponent of this stuff, which is why I'm doing this podcast, right? <laughs> but uh, if you take it in the period from you shaking hands to, you know, where you are now, um, and looking back, it must have been, you must have had some pretty tough spots. There must have been some screw-ups along the way. I mean, if, if you think back to what your intention was, not necessarily what your intention is now moving forward, because we've spoken about that, but kind of where you've come from and what you wanted to build, um, has it all been plain sailing or have there been a few things that you thought, oh, man, if I had, if I had that time again, I would have done X, Y, and Z differently and maybe take that into how you're doing what you're building in the future. So what's, what's the, what are the one or two big lessons you've learned? The people in our companies, the people we work with, these are our primary relationships in our lifetime. And we don't treat them as such. And to me, when I made that transition in my brain and I realized that these people who I work with day in and day out and have worked with day in and day out for 15 or 20 years, that these people are super important to me and that I love them. When I made that transition in thinking, that was powerful. These people are not expendable. They are not expendable. And when they show up to work thinking they're expendable, they are a mess. Imagine if you're living paycheck to paycheck and you've got two little kids and you show up to work in the morning and you think today's the day I could get fired. And then what am I going to do? So that was, that was a, ma a, a, a massive transition in thinking for me. And, and when I realized, I always hedged in, in allowing sort of a, a powerful relationship with people because I always w worried that I'd have to make a decision at some point that could put them in peril. But then when I got to my thinking of, well, then I don't have to make a decision that puts them in peril. That, was, that, that freed me up. And so today, when I'm in conversations with people, people will ask, so what's your exit strategy, Mike? You know, like that, that is such common thinking in, in, well, at least corporate America. I don't have an exit strategy. This is what I do. This is what I love to do. The people I work with, I adore and I want to spend time with them. Why would I have an exit strategy? Why wouldn't I want to be doing this when I'm 85 years old? So that was one major, major 
um, transition in my thinking. That's going to be really unconventional in the world, right? And I know that, but that was a huge learning. Another massive learning was, I don't know how to say this politely, but if my whole life was going to be about aspiring to be just another rich guy at a country club wearing a Rolex playing golf, like there's a lot of those guys and they're not doing anything special, right? At least I'm, I'm being a little bit judgmental there, but I just couldn't make that my future. And so then what is your future? What are you trying to do? And then that leads to a, a line of thinking of, okay, well, what is going to be my contribution? Because if it's only about wearing a Rolex and driving a Mercedes and going to the country club to play golf, I mean, that just all of a sudden felt really, and I, I lived that for a minute, you know, like, and it was like, well, is this it for me for the next 50 years? Like, this is what I'm going to do for the next 50 years is show up and have drinks and play golf. Like, that can't be it. Mm. I need something way more powerful than that. Mm. And that's what led to meeting Nathan Havey. That's what led to a three-year process with him. That's what led to you know, our purpose, our vision. That's what has led me to sitting here having this conversation with you today. Amazing. Um, so if I was a CEO or you know, a business owner uh, and wanted to see my business as a force for good, but I don't know how, what advice would you give me that would help? Start with purpose. People don't understand purpose. They just don't get it. So start with purpose and commit yourself to the development of a purpose that lights your fire, but more importantly, lights the fire of everyone in your organization. And the thing about purpose that's critical is that everybody can wake up in the morning and know why they're going to work in the morning. And, you know, so often leaders like me and, and, and I am still this in, in many ways are really controlling and believe they know what the purpose of their organization should be. And it's really egocentric to that leader. But what you have to do is, is you have to open that process up and you need somebody really, really skilled and talented to do that and open that up and allow for your team and your organization and you, you're not, it's, it's not independent of you. But so when you finally settle on that purpose, everyone around the table goes, awesome, mm. amazing. This is what this organization is going to do. Now, I don't know what that is for you as a leader, but that's where it starts because then you get into, okay, well then what's, What's something that we can do over the next 10, 20 years that will support that purpose? And that becomes the vision, right? The vision, our vision of improving workplace culture in America is absolutely dialed into our purpose of supporting you and building a life that you love. 
So then you, so, so that's the, that's what you go through and then you wake up and you do it. Right. And, and I'll tell you what, if you're, if it's a process that you're tied into emotionally and you're committed to, it's actually freaking scary. It's really, truly scary. So my answer to any leader is start with purpose. That's the very first thing you have to do. And then everything else will start to work around that. Awesome. Beautiful. Love it. And, and if I can add a little something on there, purpose is not being number one or number two in your market. Purpose <laughs> right. is not having 20% growth in your EBITDA margin, right? But, but, but Simon Sinek is absolutely brilliant because he takes it one step further. And he says, why, why, if you want to be number one or two in your market, okay, why, why is that important? And then you answer that question. And I guarantee you, there's going to be another why Mm -hmm. you keep asking why, and you fundamentally get it down to this thing in your heart that means something right for me, supporting you and building a life that you love. Like the why on that is, is because I'm scared for the whole world. If we are, if we aren't answering that question for our children, for our, for our college students, for our employees, if we aren't starting with that, what are we, why, what are we doing then making a bunch of rich people richer? Uh. (laughs) Amazing. So I've got one last question that I also ask all my guests. So in the context of capitalism, just finish off this sentence. I like. You can do anything you want in the world. Capitalism provides us the opportunity to do anything we want in the world. Next one. Same thing. Context of capitalism. I wish. We could root out fear and anxiety. Okay, last one again, in the, within the context of capitalism, I wonder. How long it will be before people realize there is a different and more powerful way. <laughs> Amazing. What a great way to end it. So, Mike, where can somebody go to learn more about you and your purpose? <laughs> well, I mean, me and my purpose is my company, right? Big B Coffee. That is everything that, that I'm involved in. I, you know, I have a book on entrepreneurship called Grind. Uh, so grindthebook.com. It's very, very business startup focused and intentionally so. Um, there is uh, bigb.com forward slash life lab. L-I- yeah, and that's, that is the curriculum. Those life lab is, is, is doing the, the curriculum part of our work. And so, but I, I would say start with the, the assessment mm. that you talked about and then, you know what, uh, reach out to me. Uh, you know, I mean, I'm on LinkedIn and, and just reach out to me and, and we can start a conversation. Uh, I don't exactly, we don't have like a team built around all of this stuff in terms of working with other leaders yet, because we're just trying to figure out our own stuff. <laughs> right. But, but someday I think we, we will have a, a team and organization built around trying to support other leaders in this kind of work. And, uh, but we're not there yet. So it really fundamentally just comes down to me, reach out to me. Awesome. Mike, thank you so much. Wow. 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 I loved Mike's perspective on business. He's a successful entrepreneur advocating that bringing love to the workplace is more powerful than the spirit of entrepreneurship. A few things that resonated with me. One, 
Start with purpose because everything else will start to work around it. And when you think about your purpose, keep asking why until you get to something that everyone sits back and feels inspired. Two, measure your impact consciously. They've done it through a metric called performance. It's a mix of performance and purpose because they are interdependent. They feed one another. So time to check in and ask yourself, what are you committing to and how are you measuring that? Three, we spoke about the importance of taking away fear and anxiety at work. Or another way to put it, how are you helping people go home every day feeling inspired and motivated? I'll be talking to more CEOs and business owners in the coming months. If you think it was a good and interesting use of your time, please do share. The best form of marketing is recommendations. So even if you share this with one other person, that helps me fulfill my purpose by getting the message out there that businesses are and can be a force for good. And for that, I will forever be grateful. Thanks for listening and until next time. This was hosted by Ravi Rai. You can connect with Ravi on LinkedIn or on Twitter at Ravi FPC. This series is sponsored by Four Points Consulting. We make change happen with conscience and with purpose. Check us out at www.fourpoints.net. That's www.fourpoints.net.